Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Uh, by the way, your husband is going to men's retreat, so you can, uh, I will be there. That'll be good. Annette and I have been away from each other for the last week, and so last night was the first time we had actually reunited, and, and uh, so most of the sermon last night I was just looking in this direction, and if I do it again, please forgive me on this side, okay? But it's, uh, it's good to be here. Do you know that God loves you? I mean, that he really does. He loves you and he cares for you and every detail of your life. When we worry, when there's anxiety in our lives, he never worries. He, he doesn't worry because, because God knows what's going on and he takes care of us. And I'm so thankful for that. Today I want you to do this with me. If you would open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, we're going to continue our series, Breaking Free. You know, Romans chapter 8 is where you turn when you're struggling with some of life's most difficult questions. And today we're going to look at one of the most well-known promises in all the Bible. When I was in college, there was this new phenomenon on TV on Monday night. It was called Monday Night Football, which kind of gives you an idea how old I am. And uh, I was on my way home from work, and every Monday night, my buddies and I would get together in a, one of the dorm rooms that was chosen ahead of time, and we would watch a TV that had rabbit ears and tinfoil wrapped around it, and, uh, and so we would watch Monday night football. On one occasion, I was coming home from work and turned on the radio, and on the radio was the game, Monday night football. And so while I was processing all this, thinking, my goodness, it's on the radio, and it hasn't been on TV yet. So when I got into the room where we were watching this game, my friends didn't know I already knew the outcome of the game. They didn't know know that I already understood all the details of the game. They didn't know it was happening live. And so I thought I would take full advantage of this. Um, I thought that I could probably look really good in their eyes. And so partway through the game, I told them a play that they were going to run. I think they should run this play. This would be a great play. Sure enough, they did. My buddies thought, this guy is incredible. He knows what he's talking about. And as the game went on, I even predicted the score at the end of the game. I told them the score. And when they saw that, uh, they, they were pretty amazed because I knew what was coming. And there's this There's this sense that it can be more enjoyable to watch a game when you already know how it ends. You know how it ends, you know your team wins the game, and so you can watch it and you can enjoy the journey of getting there. You know, there are some benefits in knowing how a story or a movie or a book ends. Some researchers have even told us that that when you know the end or how the story ends, you're more comfortable processing the information that you're seeing and you can focus on the deeper understanding of the story. Personally, I I don't like spoilers, uh, especially if I'm recording a game that's going on on Sunday morning and someone comes up and wants to give me the score, you know, I panic. I say, don't tell me, I want to... But in some way and in some time if I find out in advance that my team won, I enjoy watching the game a little more. Uh, I'm a lot more relaxed even when they get behind or when they mess things up on a set of downs or I I just kind of relax because I know the outcome. I know who's going to win. I know who's going to take all the marbles. And I think that's true with books and movies. You know, we want to be able to trust the author enough to know that they're taking us on a journey. 
And that we're trusting the author to lead us into a good place that may be perilous at times, but it's going to end up, it's going to end up good. It's going to end up with justice and love and redemption, uh, somehow winning the whole day. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul is going to remind us of these things. That the Apostle Paul is going to encourage us today because he talks about the way the story is going to end for for all of us who are in Christ. He's going to teach us that we can have trust in the author of the story. That instead of fear, we can have faith. We can have faith that things are leading to a good end. And so for many of us, that's probably pretty timely. You might be in a, a situation right now, you're part of your story that you thought would never be written. You're in a situation right now that you're in the middle of a chapter that you didn't want. You're somewhere that is uninvited. You didn't invite this into your life. You didn't didn't project this. If you were going to write the story, you would have not written the kind of chapter that you're in at this moment. Maybe the chapter that you're in is titled Illness. Maybe the chapter is titled Divorce or abuse, or loss, or hopeless. Well, in Romans chapter 8, there is a promise for us. And I want us to hear that promise this morning because it's a wonderful promise. And it's in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him who have been called according to His purpose. This sounds like a beautiful promise, doesn't it? I mean, you read this and you're thinking, this is an incredible promise. It's almost too good to be true. In all things, God works for the good. But the lens you read this promise through makes all the difference. This is a a beautiful promise unless your life seems to contradict it right in this moment. In the chapter that you're in right now, you might be hearing this and it could be falling on deaf ears because you're saying to yourself, this does not resemble my life. This really doesn't reflect the, the chapter or the moment that I'm experiencing right now in this life. And Paul tells us in Romans 8 how hard life is. And it's interesting, this word or phrase translated, we know. And if you see that right there in the first part of Romans 8.28, we know and it's used, the, the phrase we know is used 13 times in the book of Romans. And it doesn't mean hopefully, it doesn't mean optimistic, it means with absolute certainty. And so if you want to look at that phrase again where it says we know and that's not strong enough for you, then put in this phrase, with absolute certainty. That's what Paul is saying to us here. The same phrase is used one other time in Romans chapter 8. It's used in verse 22. And you remember we went over this, I think it was last week, in Romans uh, 8 verse 22. And what it says there, I want to put it up on the screen here. It says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. You see that again, we know. And what's Paul saying here? Paul is saying we know that life is hard. We, we know that, that, that with absolute certainty, we know that life is hard. And then you go to verse 28, and it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. What's he saying here? He says, We know with absolute certainty God is good. 
We know there is no question life is hard, but we know absolutely God is good. And putting those two things together sometimes is difficult for us because they seem like they're on the different, different ends of the spectrum, don't they? That you're going, wow, life is hard and, I, and, I, and God is good, but it, I'm having a tough time putting these together. How can I put these things together? Well, one of the things that we need to understand is we, we want this promise to say something that it doesn't say. I mean, I've heard this interpreted before, and, and, and we look at this, and we have our own ideas of what this means, because it is, a, it is a promise to us. It doesn't say that if you love God and you're called according to His purpose, that everything that happens to you will be good. It doesn't say that. It, 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 that you, can't, you can't make it say that. But many churches teach and believe, and so do many people, that that's the case. That if I work and I do good, bad things won't happen to me. Well, let me say this. That's found nowhere in the Bible. Nowhere in Scripture does that say that's the way our life is going to be. That is the way the book of our life is going to be written. It it doesn't tell us that there. Instead, we're told to look for God's good purpose to come out of life's hard pain. That's what we're told. And there's a difference between reason and purpose. That when someone goes through something difficult in life, we want to say, well, there is always a reason. You know, we want to comfort people. We, we feel that we want to say something to them and say, well, there is a reason. We want to say there is a, a reason for everything, but God doesn't always have a reason, at least not reasons that are told us. The reason may be that Sin is there. Sin, that's the reason. We live in a fallen world. That's the reason. We've fallen to become victims to circumstances that we couldn't control. That's the reason. God isn't always in the reason formula. Listen, God may not have a reason, but he always has a purpose. And that's the thing that we get a hold of today. That's the thing that we need to understand. And, and these are two different things. They're, they're very different, reason and purpose. Reason looks for a because. It wants the answer to the question, why? You know, if this happens to me, and you've gone through this, I've gone through it. Something happens, it's unexplainable. Something happens that's very difficult in our lives. And, and what we say is, and what we ask is, Why? And I understand that. That's kind of a natural thing that we do. We just say, well, well, why did this happen? This happened because of this or that or the other thing. But purpose gives us the four. Reason wants to, to have a logical explanation, to make sense out of something that has happened. Purpose offers us a hope that whatever happens, God can still work for good. That is purpose few examples in scripture if you've ever read this story in the gospel of john chapter 9 the first few verses there's a blind man who's been blind since birth it's brought to jesus by his parents and one of the first questions the disciples ask is why i mean why why is he blind did he sin did his parents sin did his grandparents sin did he mistreat his donkey? You know, what happened there? You know, I mean, th- th- that's the way we go, isn't it? That's kind of the way our head goes, is we want explanation. We want to know the because. We want to know the why. And Jesus changes in John chapter 9. He changes the focus of, of why it happened to what God was going to do through this. Because if you remember, Jesus almost appears that he didn't even hear the question. 
he, he doesn't even hear it. He just moves on and he says, basically, what's happening here is to give God glory. There's the purpose. With what's going on in this man's life and in his family, it is, it is to bring purpose. Not reason, but it's to bring purpose. It's a different way of looking at things. Trying to answer the question why can be, and you've gone down this rabbit trail, it can be very futile. And it can leave you empty even after you know the why. Because we're never satisfied. We're never satisfied. We'll get an answer to one why and we want ten more whys. And the journey goes on and on and guess what? You go crazy. I mean, it keeps spinning around in our heads trying to, trying to put the whys together. So even if I knew why, would that satisfy you? I think the answer is probably not. No. Every now and again, Annette and I will sit down and we watch, uh, you know, Funniest Home Videos. And it's, you know, it's, it's fun. We like to laugh. And, and there are those, you know, certain clips in there where someone's just doing something crazy, outrageous, stupid. You know, I mean, they're like taking a bike over a cliff or that kind of thing. And that's, that's the only time in, in, in when we watch that that Annette, just, she'll cover her eyes. She goes, I don't want to watch this. And they, and they do it. She goes, why? Why do they do that? And uh, I don't know if there's an answer to that. You know, I really don't know. Stupidity, I don't know. I identify a little more with those guys because Annette didn't do those things. I did. And so I get it. Uh, there's something there. It's almost impulsive that makes you want to go do that. But, but there, I don't know if there's any answer to, to the question why. Purpose says this has happened, so God, how will you work this for good? This has happened. This is my circumstance. God, how are you going to work this out for good? Because I know you're a good God. I know that. The promise that I, that I hold on to is Romans 8, 28. It tells me that. And so, God, this is my circumstances. These are the things that have happened. So, God, how will you work this for good? Something else we do with this verse is we read it and we do define good in our own way. You know? We, we look at that and it says, oh, good. And we kind of jump to conclusions and we put a list together of the things that we think are good. We say, well, this is my definition of good. And that's usually the list that you give to God when you pray. You know, God, if you're really, you know, if you're good and I know you're good, here's my list of goodness. And so would you kind of, go ahead, go ahead, God, just check them all off and then just go right down my list. The problem with that is your definition of good is not God's, always God's definition of good. And, and sometimes those lists, his list and your list, they have a hard time reconciling. They, they, re- they really do. God works for the good, and we have our own ideas what should and shouldn't happen to us. We would say things like, well, if God is working for the good in my life, if he's really working for my good, then the Seahawks are going to win the Super Bowl because that would be a good thing. We apologize to the New England fans, but that's, that's a good thing. We think, wow, that's, that's what would be good to me. That's my definition of good. If God is working for the good, what's it about, really? And when when we put our list together and we really look at it and we're honest with it, the list that we put together often of our definition of good is, is, is a lot of times it's about my immediate and temporary pleasure. It's the, how this works for me and, and how this will satisfy me. And that's how we tend to define good. 
So how God defines good isn't always our definition of good because we have different definitions. So what I want to do is I want to kind of show you a, 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 a process of, of goodness, of how God looks at good. And when he looks at good, these are the things that he recognizes. These are the things that, that he sees. And it's, it's just down a few more verses. It's in Romans eight twenty nine and 30. It says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, and those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Now, there are a lot of words there that can be kind of theological words. They can even sound a little churchy when we look at them. What I want to do is clear up those words for you so you know exactly what these words mean and you'll recognize how they're attached to God's goodness. That this is really, the, the, what we've heard here is the expression of God's goodness, his definition of goodness. Here's how he defines good. The first word is foreknew, that God is all-knowing. Uh, God doesn't see the world in circumstances like you do. He doesn't see the world in circumstances like I do. We see everything with a beginning and everything has an end. God sees the whole. He, he sees all at once. He, he lives outside of space and time. He's not confined like we are. We are incredibly limited beings because we live in this box called space and time. God doesn't live in that box. It does not restrict God. And we, we don't understand that simply for one reason. Uh, we're not God. We don't understand this at times. We don't live outside of time and space. The prophet Isaiah said something really interesting in Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10. He, he says, remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I am known I do, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I, I please. You see, we, we have, and what I would say is this is so, this is the sovereignty of God. This is how God really works. So what does that mean to me? I mean, what does this have to do with my story? What does this have to do with the chapter I'm in right now with maybe not a good label on it, it doesn't have a good title, and you're looking at it, well, what, how, how does this affect the chapter I'm in that's titled divorce or loss or hardship? How, how does this work? Well, the way it works is this. It means that you're never in a chapter in your life where God says, wow, I didn't see that one coming. You know, I mean, wow, that one really caught me off guard. I mean, that's jeepers. I'm, I'm really taken back right now. Let me get my breath. Let me count to ten. And, and then I'll just regain composure and go after this. You'll, that, that, that's not in God's vocabulary. It's not in his language. It's not in the way that he thinks or works in your life. He's not surprised by anything that you go through. He foreknew. He, he knew it. God's not surprised where you are right now. Whether it's self-inflicted or whether it comes from outside circumstances, he is not surprised. God is not taken back by where you are today. And I want to say this and say it loud. It's in two words. He knows. He knows. Some of us really need to hear that. He knows. And because he knows, everything 
that happens, he understands nothing catches him off guard. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge, there's that word again, of God the Father, uh, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obe- be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. He's saying here, I, I understand, I know, I see it. God knew you before you, you chose to follow Jesus. God knew you would choose to follow Jesus if you've made that decision, if you've made that choice. He knew you before you knew yourself. Now, what does that bring to you? I don't know what it brings to you altogether. I know what it brings to me. One of the things is comfort. <laughs> well, wow, there's someone in charge here. I mean, when everything looks chaotic, when everything looks out of my control, when things aren't going the way that I define good to go, and, and I'm going, wow, what's happening here? I, is, I mean, I, I, this is really driving me nuts. What we can say there is we can have comfort because the one in charge knows, the one who has ordained your path, the one that has foreknown this, he, he, he knows, and for me, it's comforting. Isn't it comfort, comforting when someone knows, when you have friends in your life, they really know, you know the details of your life and they're walking with you, they encourage you? That's what God's doing. You know, that, that's the reason we have the Holy Spirit. One of the first labels given to him is what? He's our comforter. Why? Because he knows. Sometimes people don't even have to say anything to you. If you're going through a hard time, they don't need to say anything. They just need to be there. You know they know, and there's comfort in that. That's huge. Here's another word you should understand. It's the word predestined. We've heard that kicked around. Uh, You know, it's one of those things you see in your theology class. But God's predestination is based on his foreknowledge. That because God foreknew, he was able to predestine everything that has happened to us. Now, he doesn't say here he causes everything to happen to us. That's the difference. But he knows everything that happens, good and bad. He knows. So that everything that happens to us will will do what? He says here, everything that happens to you when you're in Christ, good, bad, ugly, it it, it can do this. It's designed to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. Don't lose that. It's designed to conform you. So so here it is. The circumstances you're in right now, however uh, horrendous they appear to be right now, however good they might be right now, all of this is designed to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what it says here. He uses everything. And this is what I love about God. There is no wasting your pain. He's, he's, not, just, he's not messing with you. You know, Whenever you go through something, the pain that you deal with, he doesn't waste that pain. We may, but God doesn't waste that pain in your life. He makes it count. Why? To conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. Not that God causes everything. It's it's that he causes everything to work together. He's a a redeeming God. You need to understand this. He's a redeeming God. He takes our slip-ups, our failures, our weaknesses, our brokenness, all of those kinds of things. And when we surrender to him, when, when we're in Christ Jesus, it tells us that he is a redeeming God. He'll do that. The next word is the word called. This is the idea here that we don't get to to take credit for coming to Christ. That's what he's saying. It's his Holy Spirit. It's his Holy Spirit is the one who has opened our eyes. He's extended the invitation. He has made a way for you when there was no way. You you can't do that. I can't do that. The chasm is is way too too wide to jump. We we can't get to the other side. We, We can't find God on our own. 
The Bible says that even when we were enemies, Christ died for us. And yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, that's, that, those are polar opposites. I mean, enemies, you know, we're talking about a long way away, but now I've been brought near by what? By the blood of Jesus Christ. My life has been uh, reconciled. He reached out to us when we were still sinners, when I had no ability to do that on my own. It was the work of His Spirit in me. I'm called. The next word is the word justified. This is how Jesus makes us right before God. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, I can stand before God without blemish or without fault. Not because I earned it, not because I deserve it, but Jesus paid for it with his own blood. That's why. The next word, and here it is, is the word glorify. And Paul says, this is the final chapter of the story right here. See how he's walked you through this? He's telling you a process of what he sees as good. Now he comes to the final chapter of the story, and it is glorified. This is where everything is leading to this chapter in your life, and the title of that chapter is glorified. And this is the chapter that never ends. So whatever chapter you may be in right now, Whatever label is in the chapter of your life right now, it's this chapter that God intends to get you to. This is the chapter called and labeled glorified. If you're in Christ Jesus, this chapter is called glorified. That's where you're headed. It's where it's going to end up, and that's good news. You can trust the author on this. This is where he's leading you. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, Jesus, God knows the story. He knows your story. And you can trust the author that you're being led to that final chapter that says glorified. And so we have this confidence. We have a faith instead of fear because we know how the story ends. Paul uses the word glorified here, and I want you to notice how he uses it. He doesn't use it in a present or a future tense, nor a present tense. He uses the word glorified in the past tense form. What does that mean to me? What it means to me is because that's the confidence he has that the chapter is already written. That it's that sure, absolutely certain, absolutely confident that the chapter, the last chapter in our life is called glorified. Let me give you a few quick takeaways this, this morning. And this means that, that God is going to work all things together for our good to first. And the most important one of these things here that we need to know is to draw us closer to Jesus. That God doesn't waste your pain. I love what 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 tells us. It says this, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. What is he saying there? There are things that you're going through right now that bring godly sorrow. What does that do in our lives? It leads us to repentance. It, 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 it draws us closer to Jesus. Many of you, and I've talked to many of you, and, I, and, and I've... Uh, I, I've heard stories that many of you would say that what drew you closer to Jesus was one of the worst things that ever happened to you. The thing that you know, drew you close to Jesus is when you, you, know, you, heard, you heard the word cancer or you, you heard the word fired or you heard the word broken. And, and it was that. 
that, that sorrow, that, that hardship that drew you closer to Jesus Christ. And, and once that's happened in your life, that you would say that one of the most difficult, worst things became one of the best things because that chapter, in that chapter, you met Jesus. In that, in that chapter, that started out with this title, this thing that is uninvited in your life that you didn't plan on, is the very chapter that you find Jesus, that you've drawn closer to Jesus. Wow. And you say, well, it was, so, it was one of the worst, bad, ugly things that I'd ever gone through. I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy, but I'll tell you what, I wouldn't trade it for, for anything because it's there in that chapter. That's the chapter I found Christ. That's the place that I drew closer to him. God can redeem anything. He can redeem us. And the second thing here is God is going to work all things together for good to not only draw you close to Jesus, but to make you more like Jesus. It's going to make you more like Jesus Christ. How many have read or you know, you've, you've heard about you know, C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity? Great, great... Um, Apology for the Faith. It's, it's a great, great book. And he, in one place in the book, he writes this. He said, imagine yourself as a living house. That God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, and he's stopping the leaks in the roof, and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But then he starts knocking the house about in a way that it hurts abominably and and does not seem to make any sense to you. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out the new wing here, putting up an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. And he intends to come and live in it himself. That's becoming more like Christ. You see, the purpose is that all things, we are being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And then the third thing is this. God is going to work all things together for our good to take me to be with Jesus. It doesn't get any more good than that, does it? I used to hear my kids say, that's gooder, you know? You know, that's gooder. And uh, there, there's no such word that I know of. Um, but it's true. That's really good stuff. When you're talking about that, this is the, that hope that we have in the ultimate goal that you are going through right now and what you're going through right now may not make sense to you. It may not make any sense. It's hard. It's difficult. God never downplays that either, by the way. He never makes light of the suffering that we go through. That's not what God does. But it's hard and it's difficult. But can I do this? I want to point you to the author. I want to point you to the author and tell you to trust the end of the story. Trust the end of the story. The label is glorified. That I will be with Jesus someday. Would you bow your head with me? Would you do that? And we're going we're gonna to just finish with a few songs and worship to the Lord today. And, and I want to do this. I just want to 
want to ask this question, and it really has to do with the things that we've talked about here today. And that maybe, maybe I don't know, you're in the middle of something right now, and 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 you're you're looking for answers. You you know you're looking maybe even for some purpose. Uh, let me let me say this: that one of the things and one of the reasons you're going through what you're going through is the purpose God has for you is to meet His Son Jesus Christ. That's the purpose. I mean, really, is the purpose. And so, let me ask you today: if you've ever met Christ Jesus, have you ever if you've ever invited Him in your heart? Because if you you haven't done that. Uh, then it will seem that everything is for naught in your life. I think you just keep spinning around. It may get a little better, but you're going to come back to the same place. And you might even ask all those questions, why, why, why? But until you meet Jesus, you will not know the purpose. And the purpose is to conform us more like him, to, G- to, to be like Jesus. And I'm going to pray a prayer. And when I pray this prayer, all of us in this room are going to pray this prayer together. We'll do it together. And at the end of the prayer, I just want for those that prayed the prayer to meet Jesus in your life, just I'll ask you just to lift your hand. I'm not going to call you out, won't embarrass you, won't do that. But I want you to make a confession with a lifted hand. And the prayer goes like this, and would you all pray with me, dear Jesus? Um, I come to you today. And the chapter I'm in right now, is a, is a difficult one. And, and I want to find purpose. I realize today that my purpose is in you. I want to know you and I want to be more like you because you're my Savior. So today I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you are my Lord and Savior. Come and live in my heart. (laughs) In Jesus' name. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.